Welcome back to the Rad Season podcast. Uh, if you're new, welcome to the show. I'm your host, Ollie Russell Cowan. I'm joined by Vanessa Ruck, otherwise known as the girl on a bike. Vanessa grew up in, in England, keeping fit in the outdoors, doing loads of sports. When she went to university at 18, she got hooked on wakeboarding, snowboarding, mountain biking, anything that could get the adrenaline pumping. In 2014, Vanessa's life took a turn when she was out cycling and was hit by a car. The accident changed Vanessa's life as she realized that she would no longer be able to do some of the sports that she loved. She turned to motorbikes initially as a way of getting around and adventuring on the open road. After multiple surgeries, she started The Girl on a Bike when she was bedbound to channel her energy into something positive. Vanessa shares all the ups and downs of her recovery, and her goal is to make the most out of each day and help others do the same. We're going to be talking about how Vanessa got on in the Tunisia Desert Challenge Extreme Rally, the physical and mental recovery process, inspiring others through her journey, going from riding Harleys to hard enduro, and loads more. Let's jump into it. Hey, Vanessa. How are you doing? Hey, awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. You've uh, recently just got back from a bit of an epic trip. How yeah, I I have. I'm very much still in recovery. Me, my body doesn't really know what's happened to it. Uh, so I literally two nights ago got back from the Tunisia Desert Challenge, which is a gr- grueling, brutal, horrific <laughs> and amazing all at the same time eight day extreme rally raid in Tunisian desert. So it was very full on. Uh, I think some highlights are going to be surviving. <laughs> Being the only female to ever enter and the first female to finish. Uh, helicopter rescue, uh, campfire in the dunes to stay warm and not get eaten by the animals. It was uh, wild. Wow. And what, what was the helicopter rescue? What happened there? Uh, so I basically had a, a bike breakdown at about 10.30 in the morning, which sounds really early. But at that point, I've been racing for about four and a half hours because it's quite and I was doing okay. I water supply, food started to get low. The organizers had briefed other competitors that were in bigger trucks, buggies, and cars mm. to always give and carry spare water and food to give to motorcycles if they see them in the desert because we are incredibly vulnerable. We can only carry so much. So I did have a good supply of water. I got given food. I probably had about nine bottles so nine one and a half litre bottles across the seven hours that I was stuck in the dunes and I tried to make shade as soon as I could but midday sun in the dunes not even my motorbike could give me shade so I was trying to stay hydrated I was eating I was making shade I took all of my emergency electrolytes all those kinds of things but unfortunately in 45 degrees heat, the body can only last so long. And it got to the point where it felt like I had a helmet on and someone had a stick and was like, bam, bam, bam. That was how much my blood, heart rate, pulse system was trying to cope with the heat. I started to get really dizzy and disorientated. The wind had picked up as well. So it was really sandy. And I was in the sort oh of fetal God. position next to my bike. And our bikes, vehicles are all fitted with safety systems so that, you know, the organisers know where you are. I knew they knew where I was. I knew that they knew that I was needing rescuing Mm -hmm. and I wasn't an emergency. I hadn't had a massive off. I wasn't broken. I wasn't bleeding. I was just sitting there 
getting really, really hot. Um, unfortunately, someone actually died a couple of days before from the exact same thing. Oh, really? And they didn't hit emergency, come and get me. And so I got to the point where I realised that I actually really wasn't okay and I was only going to continue to sort of get worse. And I found the strength to hit the emergency button. And when I say find the strength, first of all, I had to like clamber around the other side of my bike, which was quite hard by this point. I wasn't doing very well. But also the, the mental strength to be able to sit there in the desert when I've not had a crash and go... I'm an emergency. I need the organizers yeah. to come and get me and put the helicopter up. And psychologically, that was actually a really hard thing to do. And the, yeah, the and, you, and you're on your own, right? So you kind of got to make the call oh, yourself. Yeah, and... yeah, I was on my own. And yeah, the the paramedics that obviously came out and got me. They the helicopter appeared, and uh, I was just, like amazing. I could hear it while I was lying there. And I kind of rolled over and tried to sort of wave. Obviously, they could see me. They knew where I was. They could see my bike. Uh, so that just so that they knew that I was there and they'd stop and save me and then the helicopter flew away and I was just like I mean a little part of me inside felt like it was like dying because maybe I'd moved too much maybe I shouldn't have waved and they saw me and were like oh she's fine look she's moving and yeah so I went back into my fetal position and I had the worst panic attacks I've ever had um, I do a lot of what I call mindfulness that helps me with the ongoing chronic pain I have following the accident, which we'll probably get into in a bit. And I'm yeah. very used to trying to control my mental thoughts and my emotions and what's going on. And I was lying there and it didn't work because no matter what rationale I could put to my situation, I was not OK. I was stuck in the desert. I was my body was shutting down with the heat and I was totally alone in a sandstorm. And anyway, I just tried to calm myself. And what felt like 10 minutes later, I suddenly heard this voice and two hands on my back. And there was a paramedic um, actually saving me, getting me back to the bivouac, getting me on a drip, another drip, another drip. And um, yeah, getting me back to how I should be. But they definitely questioned why I didn't hit the emergency button sooner because I was definitely an emergency, um, but it's it's a scary game out there in the desert. Whoa. Is that kind of, you reckon that's one of the scariest moments you've been in? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And when you think about it in the context of, um, you know, someone else not being with us anymore from the very same situation where they didn't hit the emergency button, it's quite scary. Uh, it really is quite scary. And you... You know, you think sometimes you feel alone sat in your house at home when, you know, stuff's taking over in life and you're feeling a bit stressed. When you're in the middle of the desert on your own, you yeah. really are on your own. Um, so, yeah. Wow. It's all part of the crazy. adventure. <laughs> um, the crazy thing as well is that I've now got some form of post-traumatic stress disorder I don't know one day I didn't ride because the medical team were like your body needs to you need to hydrate you, you can't go on the bike plus my bike was still in the desert being recovered by the sweepers and um I the night the, the next night obviously I was having these nightmares and I woke up in the middle of the night knowing that I was meant to be riding the following day and I was just like there's no way I can go back out into that desert on my own 
I'm I'm terrified. I cannot. I don't think I will mentally cope being stuck in the desert again. And I'd had this awful dream. They were so real and vivid. And even the same medical team that saved me were like in my dream. And I woke up being like, that's it. I'm out. I'm done. There's no way I can keep going with this race. Uh, Eventually got myself back to sleep. Woke up in the morning and was like, where's my bike? (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) Just a dream. Shake it off. What? How the mind works, I have no idea. But I got back on my bike. I had gone to Tunisia. I'd signed up. And I knew it was going to be the hardest thing I'd ever done. And I was determined to keep going. So I kept going. (laughs) That's awesome. Nice. And I mean... Like going back before before you got into bikes, what um yeah like how did how did this all begin like that kind of I guess sort of uh, wanting to do like adrenaline fueled things or like was it was it sort of action sports or was there a certain thing that kind of kicked it off when you were younger? Do you think? I grew up with a very active lifestyle. I've got a lot of gratitude to the sort of childhood my parents gave me. They'd always be, you know, if I was said I was bored, that was me having a lack of imagination to entertain myself. You know, go outside and find something to do. And it was a very outdoor active lifestyle. They put me into loads of different scenarios from rock climbing to kayaking, boogie boarding, cycling, all kinds of different things. The biggest love we had growing up was with horses. So I was very lucky to be around those. And um, when you think about horse riding, I honestly think that the biggest purpose of a ponies, like the whole meaning of life, the reason why they're put on earth is to put their riders on the ground. So like you, you're constantly falling off and you get back on. And I think that's obviously sort of helped me through life. When I then got to university, I realised that there was whoa more sports and adrenaline and fun to be had. I started doing skydiving, wakeboarding, snowboarding, rock climbing, all these kinds of things and sort of massively stepped up in the sort of adrenaline of the the sports world that you can you can do. There's a lot of incredible activities out there. Yeah. Pre-accident, the the big love of sort of sports that I had, and I very much have described myself as an adrenaline junkie. You know, I lived for pushing myself physically and mentally in extreme sports. Um, the endorphins, the adrenaline, you just feel really alive. And so kite surfing was my big sport back then. Okay. I would say I was a pretty good kite surfer. I was doing un- unhooked tricks, traveling. Most of our holidays, this is my other half. Um, he's known as Rocky Monster online. He, uh, he and I would do weekends kite surfing. So there's no wind. We'd be mountain biking or rock climbing or wakeboarding. We'd um, go on all our holidays where kite surfing, snow kiting, snowboarding, like a whole life revolved around these sports. I was, I was pretty fit. Um, I definitely, if I could go back in time, take quite a few moments to appreciate how amazing my body was back then because it could do anything and most importantly my body didn't hurt and unfortunately now my body hurts um so yeah I was very active and and what happened then I mean like with the with the accident like how yeah so yeah it was a totally normal Tuesday I had been in the office all day. I was actually 
heading to the wakeboarding lake to meet my husband and some friends for an evening. My husband and I sort of ran and operated the RAF wakeboarding club. Okay. I got on my bicycle because I wasn't an active motorcycle rider at the time, which a lot of people don't realize. Motorcycles have very much been something I've kind of discovered through my recovery. And I was cycling away. I got about a mile down the road from the office. Traffic lights turned green in front of me. Amazing. Pedaled on through. Um, and then a car coming the other way decided not to stop at their red light. And they cut straight across in front of me, leaving me with nowhere to go. And like that, life as I knew it changed. Um, and I went straight into the side of the car. Now, I was not a bleeding mess. I wasn't scraped up by paramedics or anything horrific like that. I went to hospital in an ambulance and I was discharged later that night with bruising. Wow. Now, that, was it, that was it. That was all they kind of... Yeah, bruising. Now, if, if we fast forward eight year anniversary, but it's I've had seven surgeries, including a reconstructed right shoulder and right hip. So when you think about bruising versus the actual implications of what happened it kind of gives you an idea of the battle it's been trying to get myself back to ultimately trying to get to a point where I'm pain-free I've had to re readjust my expectations somewhat pain-free isn't realistic for for my home my body and uh, so instead get to a point where you know what I can still get up and get out there managing the pain the expectations of my body but get out there and and have a good time and so so then like were you kind of I mean obviously you're then dealing with like the physical and the mental recovery process during those different surgeries and like when when did you think okay like you know you're going to kind of you're going to get on a motorbike and like when where did that idea come from were you like thinking like maybe like I can't I can't go like mountain biking straight away or wakeboarding so like let's try let's try something else and it's the, the motorbike started as a very practical uh, thing in life, I suppose. Okay. Uh, the best the best way I describe my recovery was start to do your rehab, you get fitter, you get stronger, you start to get a bit more able, and then you get to sort of higher part of the roller coaster where maybe I can get on a motorbike, and then I'd realise there's complications. Like my pain just won't won't go. I'm 28 years old. I shouldn't be dependent on painkillers, all these kind of things. I'm 35 now, but obviously over the years. And so I'd end up going back to the medical teams and sure enough, there'd be complications, things gone wrong and I'd need more surgery and I'd be back down the roller coaster. So it was at one of these points where I was a little bit more physically able, but not able to do my sports and not able to cycle to work and do my commute. And I was really struggling with traffic fuel costs, parking, time in traffic, getting to work every day. And I came up with the idea that I should get a motorbike because I could skip the traffic, save money on fuel, don't worry about parking, and it'd be really, really fun. Now, we've talked a little bit about my physical recovery. Something I'm very open with is that despite two reconstructed body parts, the mental health recovery has been harder than the physical recovery. Um, I was diagnosed with multiple mental health disorders, Change disorder being one of those, and then fear of the road. Um, I can't emphasize how difficult it was getting back out on the road and, and getting on a motorcycle, but there are, I guess, are a few things that helped me uh, make that happen, including 
a lot of determination to not let the lady that hit me take even more away from me. Yeah. Um, it was an accident at the end of the day. She didn't get up that morning and go, right, what time's Vanessa going to be at the traffic light? You know, it was an accident. And if we actually started to look at statistics, we probably wouldn't even go to the toilet because people die in the toilet, you know, it's dangerous. But we still go to the toilet every day. You know, you can't bubble wrap yourself through life. So I got this little Suzuki Bandit 600 and started to do my commute. And um, yeah, motorbikes breed. You get one and then you're like, oh, N plus one, want another one. And so yeah. suddenly they're changing. The step to off-road was probably the, the biggest mental change. And uh, But getting on the bike in the first place, I would say the first time, fifth time, 50th time, 200th time, and even still randomly now eight years on, I have huge moments of fear and what am I doing? mental like panics flashbacks to the accidents scene and I know that that's totally normal and it's natural I had a pretty huge trauma but I'm not going to let what happened in my past completely shape my future although I mean it's done a pretty good job (laughs) and like when when did you think like like during that process that you wanted to kind of tell your story and you know you wanted to like well, I guess I guess kind of inspire people, kind of get it out there and and show that you know you kind of can mm. recover from this and yeah. It's been a very gradual journey. It's not like I started my Instagram account to share my story and try and inspire other people. I didn't, and I'm not even going to try and pretend that that was the case. I was bed bound after a hip surgery. I was in a really bad place, mentally, physically, not doing that great. Had some of the darkest days that I didn't realise you could have, honestly, through that recovery. And I thought, I know, I will. And I yeah. started posting pictures of me before the accident because look how cool I used to be. I could kiteboard and snowboard and do all this cool stuff. And then I ran out of photos. Um, and, yeah, I was like, well, what do I post now? well, maybe I should just be real yeah, and share what I'm going through. And with that, I kind of hoped that maybe I could find other people that were going through stuff like I was going through as well. And maybe we can help each other and learn from each other. And uh, I can't be alone. And yeah, I quickly realized that everybody in the world is going through battles and challenges. And I didn't quite realize that so many people would get energy out of my story and my battles, but it's uh, it's definitely helped me with my challenges. And the fact that I know that me sharing what I'm going through or have gone through, I'm going through, it's still ongoing really helps other people, gives me more energy. And it's just like this lovely energy. Um, yeah, that's cool. The world can be tough. And I think social media can be really evil sometimes because most people share the two percent of their life that have always been on a mission to be like this is it the ups the downs the bad the ugly the cry the pain the joy the wins etc and yeah i mean then then sort of going and 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 doing that were you were you sort of looking at the bikes and sort of as you were progressing and kind of getting a bit more confident changing bikes like where where did the sort of um 
like when you went traveling when you started doing races when did that all begin was that just sort of a natural progression you reckon and very gradually if you'd gone back and said to me six years ago that in six years time you'll be doing one of the hardest desert challenges of the world entering Red Bull Romaniacs which I did last year or racing at all I would have been like what no way I can barely even ride <laughs> like actually well six and a bit years ago is when I first decided to go off road like I, I wouldn't believe you I'd probably choke on my drink or something it's definitely been pro- pro- progressive and gradual so it started with the Harley Davidson which was a big mm-hmm. comfy cruiser and when I didn't see the much of the point of much in life I'd lost my whole lifestyle my friendship circles, you know, you realise who your friends are, the ones that will come to your hospital bed, sit and play board games on a Saturday and not go kite surfing. You know, suddenly the world had changed a lot. And once I was back at work, why would I take time off work to do what? I don't want to go on a spa break or a city tour. Like, what's the point of any of it? I, I just might as well just exist. And my husband was in Afghanistan for one of our wedding anniversaries. So once he came back, I was at, again, one of the higher points of the roller coaster. I decided to organise two Harleys for an afternoon as a belated kind of anniversary thing. And uh, they were the best decision we've made. It made me realise a bit of adventure, wind in your hair, but without needing to be physically able Now, for anyone who doesn't ride, it's normally the non-riders that go, well, how can you ride a motorbike when you've got a dodgy shoulder and hip? And actually, even to this day, it hurts me less being on a motorbike than being in a car. The angle of the hip, once you're on a bike, my right leg doesn't have to move. And it's in quite an open position, whereas in a car, it's a horrible right angle and it's constantly moving on the pegs. You don't steer a bike like this. Okay, off-road is a different question. On road, you just sit there and you're totally chilled. So the Harley, over the following years, we probably did about 20,000 miles around Europe. We went to Croatia, maybe 15 countries or more. And it became like our new sense of adventure, a new hobby, new interest that we were doing while I wasn't physically able to do sports. But those sports were always something that I wanted to be getting back to. And so the evolution of the bikes actually started when I was bedbound after a hip surgery uh, and I woke up one morning and I came up with this ridiculous idea that I wanted a dirt bike and my husband was like what like but he's an incredibly supportive husband and that's a one note always worth mentioning is that surround yourself with people that support you and will back you when you come up with crazy ideas and so we went out and did some research got me my first little off-road bike uh, Yamaha WR 250 uh, and it was five months till I could even sit on it but it was sat there as a goal as a reminder every time I didn't have the energy to do my physio or I just hurt too much that bike was there going come on Vanessa we want to go for a ride and yeah the little green lanes near our house just like around the edge of fields first of all it made me realize that I really didn't know how to ride a bike because off-road is totally different to on the road but it immediately made me realize that this was going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I unfortunately was only able to ride that bike for about four or five weeks until I realised that actually my body wasn't doing well for having ridden the bike 
but um, that there were complications and I had to have more surgery again. But the little fire inside of motorbikes and mud was lit. Let's just say yeah. that. <laughs> and then it just gets really addictive, right? So you're thinking like once you've done one thing or been in one place, you're like, oh, where can I go next or what can I do? And sort of challenge yeah. yourself. How, how do you how do you deal with the racing like with with your hip and like yeah sort of painkillers unfortunately like I wouldn't be able to do any of it without without painkillers and I think painkillers are your your best friend and your worst enemy all at the same time uh, I know that there's risks and implications of what I do but I know that my mental health would be far worse if I just decided to sit at home and watch Netflix yeah you know I've I've only got the one body and I'm not going to just sit and mope around because mine hurts a little bit, a lot. And so, yeah, uh, people often ask me like, well, how did you go from doing that to some maniacs? Or it was an yeah. obsession with trying to get better, to improve my skills, to learn to, the first time I went down a curb, my heart will probably went to as high a level as it does now going over a log. But it's all about pushing your comfort zone and growing. And every time you put yourself in that position of fear, your comfort zone moves a little bit, your skill progresses and you, you grow and you get better at it. And it's, it's about constantly trying to put yourself outside your comfort zone. Yeah. And I think that, I think that's it, right? I mean, there's sort of too many, too many people. Yeah. You kind of, you just get in this one zone and you don't want to, maybe you think it's too difficult or you think you can't do it, whatever it may be, but then, yeah, it's not about, it's little by little, isn't it? Like you were saying. Yeah. yeah. And surround yourself with people that are better than you. That's a really, really good way yeah. of doing it because you will always be like, damn, I'm rubbish at this. I need to get better. Whereas if you're always <laughs> the best one, you won't grow in the same way and you won't have people around you to give you tips. And, and so, yeah, uh, I mean, that for me just came from going to places where the riders are and being friendly and trying to make friends and talking to people, watching stuff on online and just trying to improve and grow. Yeah. And how, how's the community been, would you say? I mean, sort of going from like when you were new into it and sort of reckon everyone, were, were, were people pretty open or were they like? Yeah, it's definitely male dominated. Uh, I think most of the sports I've always done have tended to be slightly more male dominated, but motorbikes are almost certainly very heavily male dominated. Like, um, you know, take Romaniacs last year, I think there were six women of 500 riders or something like that. Wow, um, okay. Um, yeah, I was the only woman in Tunisia. Uh, a lot of the races, it tends to be one, two, or three kind of ladies. That there's different types of attitudes that males tend to have about females on bikes like you've got you've got the egos that you know have to get past you even if they then fall off in front of you or need to like wheelie past you just to show you that you how big their penis is which actually tends to mean their penis is really small sorry if that's a bit crude and uh, sorry <laughs> we maybe funny. bleep that bit out <laughs> and then you've got the guys that are like oh my god it's a girl she's fallen off <laughs> quick help her save her and my husband's just like what leave her she's fine she got herself there she'll get her out of it get herself out of it um and then you've got the guys that just don't bat an eyelid they're just like cool she's just another biker uh they're probably my my favorite they help you if you ask yeah they're just out there having fun on a bike just like i am the fact that i'm female male whatever is irrelevant 
And uh, I'd say it's generally been really supportive. I think I get a weird faction out of people judging me by my cover. You know, I've got naturally very long eyelashes. I'm blonde. I'm tiny. And they just look at me and go, well, she obviously can't ride. And it's almost fueled a little bit of an extra drive to learn to drive, to ride better. So right. they can judge me and I'd be like, oh, whatever. Brap. <laughs> 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 it's fun and do you reckon i mean like now like is there is there more uh females and more like more more women and girls getting into into the sport like do you reckon that's kind of is is it changing and kind of i'd say it is and i really hope with every single day that i post stuff it's inspiring more ladies to go you know what i can ride a bike too because we are absolutely as capable as guys yes we probably have some disadvantages like take me and my husband he's got massive body strength size body to bike weight ratio advantages over me because I am a small female and I'm never going to be as strong but I try and focus more on the skill to try and compensate for that you know working on my balance so that I don't need to be able to reach the ground thinking about my line a little bit more because I can't just pick up a man handle the bike in the same way. So you don't ride it as much as a bull. And I'm not saying guys ride like bulls. So don't bite into what I'm trying to say. I just mean, you know, I, I don't think as a female, I am on a level playing field as a guy. And I'm okay with that. I think that's totally okay. But what I am saying is that females can do it all. And it's, awesome seeing more girls getting into riding and I do think it is I think there are areas of motorcycle riding where females appear to be more prominent for example trials riding Mm -hmm. track riding maybe even motocross once you go into the hard enduro and the extreme rally there's a lot less of us and I can understand why I mean it's disgustingly brutal I'll be honest I mean it is really hard but girls are possible it's it's possible girls get out there get (laughs) Get out there and do it Gather and do it. Don't use the whole male female as an excuse. We can do it too, and it's fun. That's it. I mean, and and it's sort of like looking at looking at action sports in general. It's kind of yeah. It's it seems to be there's a bit of a shift, and it's not just that whole male kind of dominant like world or sport what it used to be, right? So I think it's it's really important that you know it's it it should be fun for everybody and everyone. You know, like you get out there and give it a crack. Uh, um and what's what's next what will I sort of kind of going after Tunisia like where like have you got any any projects that you're working on now um I have caught a virus and it's not COVID it's the rally <laughs> virus <laughs> everyone in the bivouacs talk about this rally virus and I'm like what yeah I get it now I'm now all I I can do my next rally um so I've got to do some more training. I've got to try and work on on funding, sponsorship, etc. And uh, I'd really like to try and do the Morocco Desert Challenge next. I have got a rally in Croatia and Bosnia in August called the Dinaric Rally, which isn't a a brutal rally. It's more of a go and have a really awesome holiday doing some amazing riding, push yourself a little, but properly enjoy the scenery kind of rally. And I'm really looking forward to that. So that's the Dinaric Rally. Uh, and then between now and then, I've got 
quite a few trips all over the place. Uh, a bit of the summer filled with with different motorbikes, including the US and Iceland, Slovenia. Oh, cool! So I've got lots going on, but in in here and in here, the little like burn is next rally. Right. Raid. So nice. I need to I need to find a money tree and possibly a money forest. Yeah, because I mean, like doing doing some of these expeditions, it's it's pretty expensive, right? So you kind of got to get you you got to get yeah. sponsors on board and exactly. Uh, I mean, my husband and I are both thankfully very similar mental states towards money and spending, and we are um, very tight with our spending on things that don't bring pleasure. So. Um, you know, we don't go out to restaurants very often. We don't buy lavish, materialistic things like fancy watches and cars and stuff like that. We make our money work very hard and we mm. spend it where we get the most pleasure and things like doing a rally. I've actually persuaded him to do one with me. So oh, nice. uh, hopefully we'll do the Morocco Desert Challenge as a couple, which will be pretty amazing. And I don't think you get many couples doing desert rallies either so it'd be a lot of fun to be able to share big moments with him that'd be cool and um, where if people want to follow uh what you're up to what what's the best way i mean yeah would it be would you say youtube or um, i'm or i'm social? on most of the big platforms i'd say instagram is probably the first point of touch i would say go to and i'm regularly posting on there including stories the stories are more the everyday updates i do then do longer form content on my youtube and i'm very active on facebook i also do do linkedin on a slightly uh slightly different content thing but i'd say instagram and YouTube are probably the best points. I am also on TikTok now. I feel a little bit like a granny on there, but I'm doing my best. So any support would be appreciated. <laughs> and my inbox is always open if anyone wants to, you know, drop me a message and say hi. Um, I'm uh, always open. Nice one. And on a on a final note, I mean, if there was any advice that you could give sort of looking back over the last few years um, for people to get into the sport or just to kind of give anything new a crack, like what would it be? Believe in yourself. Literally the power of believing yourself and going into something, believing you can do it is absolutely incredible. Every single person, even the Billy Bolts and the pros of the world were beginners once. Okay, maybe he was a beginner when he was like two and a half, but that's not the point everybody is a beginner once and it's totally okay to feel useless and not be very good but stick at it believe in yourself don't give up and if you put the work in you'll get the results anything is possible with the with that mind yeah nice cool well uh, vanessa thanks so much for your time it's been yeah awesome having you on um it's really inspiring what like what, what you're doing and um yeah we're going to be following uh following the races and the rallies and yeah good luck with the next one and thank you yeah it's gonna be good to watch <laughs> thanks cool. so much thanks thanks for listening as always you can find show notes and links to resources on radseason.com slash magazine hit us up on instagram at radseasonpodcast You can follow me on Ollie Russell Cowan. Until next time, thanks for listening.